Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Idly hey! Welcome to another episode of The Brett Allen Show. Prepare to be astonished! A pop culture podcast. Join Brett weekly as he interviews your favorite celebrities from film, <gasps> oh, television, back in business, baby. comedy, and much more. Inconceivable! Plus, you never know who will stop by. Dude, we are so gonna party! Now, here is your host, Brett Allen. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Brett Allen Show, a pop culture podcast and videocast. And today we have an amazing guest on the show. I'm excited about this. I mean, I can't even tell you. We are going to be chatting with the legendary John Taffer of Bar Rescue and just so many other things. And I will tell you, this is a staple show in my household. My roommate's and I, we watched this regularly, and when she found out I was interviewing John, she about fell out of her chair. But we're going to get into some great conversation. John, welcome into the show. It's great to have you. Oh, good to be here, Brett. Congratulations on the success of your podcast, buddy. You guys are kicking butt. Thank you. Yes. Well, it's, as you know, hard work always pays off and tenacity, and that I yep. think is going to be kind of a theme of our chat, and I appreciate the kind words. We're, we're working hard, so... Thank you to your team for making this happen, and I'm excited for this. As I mentioned, um, we'll just kind of start with the idea that this last year has been crazy for everybody. Like, it's just been insane, and I feel like a lot of people have taken a hit, but I, at least here in the Bay Area, I know for sure, and I can still see, you know, remnants of this happening, the service industry, restaurants were the ones that were hit the hardest. And you've addressed this on the show and it's just insane. And even today with, with things kind of being back to semi-normal, whatever that means, um, <laughs> I don't think, especially here where there's a lot of local places that are just local to our area and the Bay and things like that have not fully recovered. And And the big question is, I think is, are they going to? So I want to start out just on a very visceral level here as somebody who like myself and I'm sure you are too as a patron of these places and and things like that what can we do to sort of continue to invigorate these places and really support them on a on a very basic level and help them continue and to thrive and to hopefully to stay open you know you know it's it's an interesting time obviously Brett but you know, something's happened in the past year, and that is the consumer has become very aware of the plight of the restaurant industry. Everybody has seen it on the news. It's been the number one topic for the past year and a half, two years since the pandemic started. Everybody knows restaurants were closed and restaurants were open. Now we can't get employees. Now our costs are going up hugely. Tyson yesterday just raised chicken another 12%. Wow. Now, that restaurant that you go to, Brett, is not going to raise chicken by 12% tomorrow. They can't do that because if we have raised meat prices by 50%, 60%, our burgers would now be $28. We'd be out of business. Nobody's going to buy a hamburger from us for $28. No. But, but at the current meat prices, that's what we need to sell it for to make money. So we are really struggling as an industry. And the wonderful part of it has been the understanding of the consumer. You know, they've understood that we don't have the amount of employees that we normally do. So they've been sort of accepting of service, maybe not being all it could be. 
You know, they know that we don't have all the staff in the kitchen. They're waiting a little longer to get their food and they're being very understanding. But all we can do is continue to go to restaurants. And I plead with everyone to please try to go to restaurants. Also understand that delivery of restaurants is not profitable to the restaurant. You see, we pay Uber Eats, DoorDash. We pay these companies 25, in some cases, 35%. Our profit on your dinner is only about 20%. So we can't make money using third-party delivery services. It's not a profitable entity for us. Now we're doing it because revenue comes in. We're doing it because we sort of have to. At least keeps you interacting with the brand, Brett. At least you're, you're still interacting with my restaurant brand. I'm not losing you as a customer. But third-party delivery services are the bloodsuckers of the industry right now because so many people have moved to delivery and their fees are so high. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I have used them in the past and quite a bit, honestly, when, when we were in lockdown, even for yeah. like groceries and delivery. I think initially early on because we just were, we just were afraid to leave the house, you know, and didn't want to go whatever was driving that. And I was... Fast forward to now, I was in an Uber with somebody, I think a few days ago, and he owned a really popular sports bar in Vallejo, which is just down the road from where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Super huge, local joint, amazing hamburgers, craft beer. And they tried doing this delivery service thing like when the pandemic first hit, and it just pummeled them. And eventually... You know, they were throwing out food because it, they couldn't, you know, mass produce it because that's just not what they do. And you said $28 for a hamburger. You know, if you go into this place, get a burger, fry, a beer, you're talking like 14, 13 bucks maybe. And that was having, he was having to raise his cost to almost $30 for a burger and fries. And he was, he was just barely even making cost on that food that was being delivered. And of course, you know, people complain and when my food's cold, it's late. And he eventually just had to sell the place because they could not compete with these other massive restaurants, you know, that just pump out food regularly. And look, it's a convenient service. I understand why people use these services and I don't put them down at all. They're performing an important function. But your question was, how do you support local restaurants? And, you know, that's not the way to no. do it. The way to do it is to actually go there. Yeah, no, 100 percent. Yeah, I, I for me, it's like going and supporting as many places as I can and really just investing the money locally. Because, again, you see the signs up of people, you know, struggling and just it's really unfortunate. But um, your show, Bar Rescue, is. I want to add something. If absolutely. I can, but, yeah, you know, please. We're living in a world of divisiveness. We see it every yeah. day. Bars are the places where there is no divisiveness. <laughs> old and young sit next to each other. Old, you know, black and white sit next to each other. Men and women sit next to each other. Bars are that place where we all sort of connect. And the second public building ever built in America was a bar. First was a church. And bars are the fabric of our communities. You know, up in San Francisco, local bars mean a lot up there to provide the character and flavor of all the communities in the Bay Area. So, you know, your market's only one example of thousands of them. So when you see these bars close, it's more than just a family dream disappearing or life savings. It's a blow to the community. It's a blow to the connectivity of all of us. And when bars disappear and places disappear that bring us together, I'm worried that what remains is what only separates Mm -hmm. us. 
So there's an important sociological element to these bars and restaurants in these communities. We don't want them to go away. We should fight for their continued existence. I agree 100%. And that's the thing that I feel that uh, perhaps the divisiveness causes people to lose sight of is that fact that, I mean, there's something to be said about going to a place like that. It's I would even go as far to almost say healing to a degree. You know, I went to a local yes. place the other night um, in Sacramento and uh, I'm retired military. So there's a lot of military that connect there. And of course, law enforcement. And it's just a place to go that's comfortable and you can just go and have a beer or a food or whatever. Watch, you know, the Giants lose <laughs> and uh, and just have a good time. Um, but I appreciate your honesty about it because I think that really, when I had presented the opportunity to chat with you, I think that was probably the biggest question that I wanted to address was from somebody who's in the trenches like yourself, who helps some of these struggling places survive and really come about and, and, and live again is amazing. And the fact that I think it's important for people to know too, is you're not just, it's not a quote unquote reality show where somebody comes to you with a bunch of problems and you unravel them. You get involved with the families, the people who are putting their life on the line. As you said, you know, this is their livelihood and helping them survive, which and and come out of whatever problems or I don't know. There's a lot of things that you deal with, which I find very fascinating. Um, yeah, you know, when when I get there, Brett, every business is a failing, every failing business is a failing owner. Really? And they could be failing because of a lot of reasons. It might not be the business itself. It might be that they're just so depressed. They're so in debt. They're so overwhelmed. They're having marital issues, family issues, tax issues. God knows what it could be. So I have to dive in there and get into their head and find out, you know, where is the blockage to success here? And sometimes the blockage was, is within the four walls of the business. Sometimes it's not. It's just, would it be lack of experience or just lack of leadership? Because I'm certain there's a lot of things that you encounter when you first get presented with a place to sort of go in and tackle. Oh, oh, it is. But you know, I'll tell you a story. My last book was Don't BS Yourself, Cut the Excuses That Are Holding You Back, which was my first New York Times bestseller. And that book came about on a set of Bar Rescue, about 120 episodes in, I asked a bar owner, why are you failing? And I asked every owner this question. And the owner of this bar looked at me and she said, John, I'm failing because of the Euro in Greece. Now, this was in Detroit, Michigan. <laughs> right. I made the same expression you just made, Brad. It was just completely absurd statement. I realized at that moment that I had done 120 episodes of Bar Rescue. I had asked every owner, why are you failing? And not once did an owner look at me and say, I'm failing because of me? Not one time. They always blame something else. Then I realized, wow, every one of these owners has an excuse. So then I said, what is an excuse? Well, an excuse is a reconciliation of a mistake. I did something I shouldn't have. I didn't do something I should have, or I screwed up, so I need an excuse. So excuses are the way we make ourselves feel good about our own failures. Excuses are the way we justify our failures to superiors and to partners and to the people around us. I realized, wow, I found a common denominator of failure. It's an excuse because if you wake up in the morning, Brett, and look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm failing because of me, you're going to change. Wow. But if you wake up and look in the mirror and say, wow, I'm failing because of that son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> or the economy or the government or Congress or the Euro in Greece, then you have no reason to change. 
And that's the powerful lesson that I've learned from that, just that one single bar rescue episode. So that's where the book cut the excuses that are holding you back comes from. And I believe the common denominator failure is an excuse. You came up with some excuse to prevent you from doing something right or from doing it at all. Wow. That's very profound. And and yet I feel like I should know that, but and I guess in, in consciousness, I think about it and go, you know, that's right. I mean, it's just like with anything, you know, competitiveness with other, even a podcast, you know, why are they having more success than me? Or why am I not doing this? And it's like, well, I can't blame them. It's just about what am I doing to, to be a solution to the problem, which, um, I guess, you know, when you're in the middle of something struggling like a bar or a tavern or whatever your project is at the moment, I guess, a lot of people would it would be easy to go oh it's the euro or whatever but then when you go well let's look at this and think about really what's happening it's very profound i love it I, it's great words to live by i think with anything um how did bar rescue because you've been a part of a lot of projects but how did bar rescue come about for you like what's the genesis behind the whole, so, the whole yeah. concept. It's probably a broad answer. I'm <laughs> a lot. No, it's a funny story. I could tell you to you pretty quickly. I was giving a keynote speech at a nightclub and bar convention. And at the end of the keynote speech, somebody ran up to me and said, John, you should be on television. <laughs> I love it. I went back to my house over the next couple of days. I wrote a three page treatment that was called on the rocks. I, at the time I had worked with Paramount consumer products on Bubba gum shrimp company and some restaurants that they had. So I went to my friends at Paramount, got to the president of television, went in there with my write-up, and he looked at me, and he said, John, you will never be on television. <laughs> You're too old. You're not good-looking enough. It'll never happen. Well, I drove out of the Paramount gates, chose to make my own sizzle reel, which is a three-minute treatment of a television show, a couple of seconds at the beginning, the middle, the end, get a, give people a feel of the show and the talent involved, shot that sizzle reel, sent it to four production companies, and Brad, I got four offers, wow. four out of four. I didn't choose the best offer. I chose the best company because I wanted to put out a quality product, obviously a, a really good quality show and signed the show. And uh, uh, less than a year later, it premiered on Spike. And there's a real lesson in this. The only person who can say no to me is me. Wow. Nobody else can say no to me. <laughs> I'm just, uh, it's so great. I mean, this is very encouraging, almost therapeutic conversation. Um <laughs> Because I'm, you get this same solicited response, maybe not initially, but regularly from people that you help. It's very true. I mean, you know, that's, again, going back to why I started in doing what I did, because it's like, you know, what are my options as far as, or realities maybe at the moment, perhaps different now, but really just creating something and just building it and here we are. I'm talking with you. So, you know, it just, again, going back to our genesis of our conversation about hard work and really just putting in the time because it's a great show. And again, you know, what we see is a shortened version, I'm sure, of what you're experiencing and getting in there. And there's probably a lot of nuts and bolts and things like that. But on the average, how many people solicit your company or your organization to get help? I mean, how outside of the pandemic? Oh, literally thousands. Okay. Yeah, literally thousands. We hear from various websites, whether it's a television website, our website, or through social media. 
literally thousands. I wish I could help them all, Brett. You know, it becomes very difficult. You know, you, you mentioned something about Bar Rescue that, that, that I'd like to just talk about. Most reality shows are not reality. No, they're unscripted. All, yeah. So producers create situations and they create all these environments <laughs> and they put you in this situation and they tape what's going to happen. And I hope they get some good news out of it. Good TV out of it. If, if having a liquor bottle in a room will help you loosen up, they'll bring the liquor <laughs> bottle. They'll, they'll do whatever yes. they do. You know, I, I hate that. I find that offensive because I think it's dishonest. Yeah. You know, it's not reality. It, it's, it's, and, and it, it sends, I think a bad message about the whole industry. My show is complete reality. There's no actors. There's no scripts. I don't know what's happening. Here's the inside scoop. I show up about an hour before we start filming. I sit in a makeup chair. I get literally a 60 second briefing, Brett. That's Oh, it. wow. Okay. You know, Brett and John own this bar together. They've been in business three years. They're in debt, $200,000. They have enough money to make it two more months. Brett's lost his house. John's about to lose his house. They're ready to kill each other. That's all I so know. So you really don't, there's no show prep. There's no research. None. You're just like- Zero. Here we go and click the cameras go red and <laughs> I get I get into the SUV. I do my thing. I go and I do recon. If I get angry, I get angry. If I don't, I don't. I do whatever it is I want to do. Nobody tells me what to do. I don't wear any earpieces, none of that kind of stuff. So I go in, I do whatever it is I'm going to do. When recon ends, we take all the owners and employees, we put them in vans in the parking lot, and I go in and design the bar that night after recon. So I got about an hour to do it. I look at my verticals, my horizontals. I have a demographic report that the team gives to me. I have a little competitive information the team gives to me. And I have to come up with the concept and the design that night. Wow. Day two on TV, we're shooting a stress test and training. What you don't see is I'm designing a bar with my team. I sign off on every bar stool, every piece of wallpaper. By the end of the second day, the logo has to be to the sign company. All the recipes need to be done. The orders to the food vendors. Every piece of furniture needs to be ordered. The trades need to be scheduled. All of this happens literally in hours. At the end of stress test, which is day two, when we close, my team literally starts ripping the place apart right after stress test. Day three, we train off-site because we're remodeling. And day four, those same vans pull up with the staff in them in blindfolds. <laughs> we line them up in front of the bar and we do the reveal. So we do it literally in four days. We do remodel it in 36 hours. Day one is day one. Day two is day two. It's exactly like you see on television. Here's why I think we're so successful for so long, Brett. The audience finds out stuff at the same time I do. Yeah. That's reality. <laughs> yes. If I know it before you do, that's not reality. No. I'm faking you. Yeah. So that's why I think the show is so successful. You can't fake people. I think my audience is really smart. And if I tried to fake them, I think they'd know it in a minute. So keeping it real is what keeps us on TV. Yeah, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. It's it's funny that you mentioned, you know, the the difference between the two. And I think that's important because I've had a mixture of a lot of people, reality, television, whatever you, you know, and it's like, they know what's going to happen months before anybody knows what's going to happen. I was really honestly, I mean, after a while, nothing surprises me, but initially I was very shocked to find out certain things about certain shows. I was like, wow, that is crazy that, like there's all kinds of, you know, psychological testing and all sorts of this and that that go into it. But yeah, with your show, as I mentioned, and my roommate and I agree with this, is that we don't really know. I feel like I'm finding out with you or whoever else is watching with, you know, on television in real time. On a side note, there's, I'm sure you're probably aware of this. Did you know there's a bar rescue bar tour 
in New Jersey. Um, and I think it's other places too, but my friend's friend runs this tour and they go to all the bars that you, did you know about that? Or were you, I, I've, I've read, uh, uh, I've heard on social media times again. I think it's great. It's a lot of fun. When I, I told one of my friends who's an entrepreneur himself and long story short, he was, we were talking about you coming on and he's like, yeah, there's an actual bar rescue tour here and you can go to all the places and visit and see the ones that have successfully survived everything and, and are still up and running. You mentioned that you get thousands solicitations, people, however they're connecting. If you can't answer or if it's easy to answer, I mean, how do you decide? I mean, there has to be a long process, a vetting process, right? Because, I mean, a problem is a problem, but then it's like, well, how do you decide, you know, we're going to actually go here versus like this one is, I don't know. It's kind of an arduous question, but I'm kind of curious. Yeah, uh, well, uh, people obviously submit applications and get in touch with this to be on the show. It starts by us choosing the cities we're going to go to. And we like to mix that up. So I'm going to Dallas, Atlanta, and Florida for the next bunch. After that, I'm going to be heading to Charlotte, uh, Chicago. So we pick cities. To make it work economically, we're a big production. We have 57 people to travel with me in four big trucks. So we're a pretty massive production. So we have to have three locations in a city for the economics to work. So we typically go to a city, do three locations, take a week off to get to the next city, do three locations there, and that's the way it works. So uh, uh, it starts with cities, and then we bunch them together. As far as picking the bars is concerned, we, A, want to make sure that they're real, that they're losing money and they're not hustling us for a free remodel. <laughs> yes. Right? And I have a professional casting company that does short casting reels with them. Okay. Just to see their personalities, what they look like, uh, 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 and uh, then we do background checks. Obviously, we don't want to throw felons on television, tax <laughs> yes. evaders, and things like that. But it's a pretty simple process. We pick the city, find compelling stories of true bars that are in trouble, and then we show up and do our job. So they know in advance they've been accepted to a degree. Well, they know that they might okay. be. So here's the trick. They can't know I'm coming when I walk in on recon. No. <laughs> but yet my trucks have been there for two days. Okay. So we trick, or we trick them. Sometimes I show up a day early. They think I'm coming in Wednesday night. I show up Tuesday night. I catch them with their pants down. <laughs> now that's reality. Yes. That's reality now. Oh, I We've love it. We've actually installed extra lights sometimes. Okay. So they'll come into the bar. They'll say, John chose another bar. He's not coming. We'll pull down some lights. And then they say, ah, oh, he's not coming. Then the reality settles in. And then I walk in on reality an hour later. So we do a lot of trickery to create the reality. I love it. Versus the trickery to fake the reality. And that's very important to me. Sure. You know, the bar, if people know we're coming, the bar will be packed. It won't be empty. Right. It won't be a real typical. It won't be customers. It'll be Taffer fans. And everything gets screwed up if we don't do it right. So we have to be very careful to keep it real. I just envision some bar owner. Hey, John Taffer's coming. I need you to bring all your homies down here. And because we. <laughs> And it's not like you haven't done the financial research or is whatever you can, you know, well, you said you just find out a little bit of information, but maybe your team or whatever, you know, it would be interesting. You know, it's interesting. It makes me think of a show that was on for years and I'm not here to, to talk down undercover boss though. And that was on for so long. And after a while, I would always think to myself, you know, how do they not know like, that something's afoot, right? You know, because television crews come and 
Oh, they're on a reality show. It's interesting. I like it. Catch them with their pants down and really just the gotcha moment, you yeah. know, where they're like, yep. oh, wow, yep. we're, we're in this now. So now there's no turning back. That's, that's why you see the look on your face when I walk in. Remember, these are not actors. No. So they're, they're not fake. So when they see that look of surprise <laughs> on your face when I walk in, that's the result of our trickery, if you will. I love it. That's so great. It, now, I'm going to watch this show with different eyes now because it's interesting. It's very fascinating. You get these things and you go, okay, we're going to do this. So we kind of talked to this about this early on in our conversation. But for you, what makes a good bar or tavern? Like if you're just going out to just go out, if you do that, I don't know if you've, I'm assuming a lot, but if you decide you want to go, you're in a city and you want to go grab some food or whatever, can you do that? Do people just mob you when you walk in and go, are you here to <laughs> evaluate our bar? Uh, it's <laughs> Unfortunately, 10 years on television and 118 okay. million viewers, it's not so easy to go to bars these days. I can but imagine. You asked a really important question that I want to answer. You know, what makes a great bar? You know, what is it? And, you know, great bars aren't necessarily new. They're not necessarily old. They're not necessarily tall or short. They're not necessarily a sports bar. They're not necessarily a dance club. They're not necessarily a dive bar or a local bar. I don't believe we're in a bar business. We're in a business of reactions. And by the way, you're not doing a podcast. Make no mistake. The podcast is not your product. Your product is the way people react to your podcast. Yeah. If they don't react, you have no podcast. I believe that in a restaurant business and I own the term reaction management. I believe that I'm not serving food that the cook in the kitchen is not making an entree. He's creating a human reaction. We achieve it through the entree. So when that plate hits the table, either you're going to sit up, Brett, or you're not. Either you're going to react to that plate presentation or you're not. If you don't react to the plate presentation, then I have no product. I don't believe we play music. We play reactions. We achieve it through music. We don't serve people. We create reactions while we serve them. And you're not doing a podcast. You're creating reactions while you make your podcast. We live and die by the reactions we create. That's a society that we have created. Great bars create great reactions. Wow. That's what defines a bar. That reaction to you, and it might be high energy music, a high energy environment is what you react to. Somebody else is going to react to a low energy environment. Somebody, else, But what do people react to? And that's the business that we're in today. And I'm of the belief that Verizon doesn't sell cell phone service. They sell reactions and achieve it through cell phone service too. Yeah. So all of us are in a reaction business. And my first book was all about that. Yeah, it's interesting. I have a seven-year-old. I'm thinking Dave and Buster's, that place creates, whoever came up with that idea, you know, my God, they're billionaires, I'm sure. And it's just... Uh, it's like, I have friends that tease me. He goes, you know, they're conditioning him. So when he's older, he'll go to casinos, right? Because it's just like going into a casino. But for, I mean, there's adults that go there, but we go there, you know, on occasion. And it's, it creates a reaction. I mean, he lights up the dinging, the food, you know, it's very fascinating. A lot of food for thought in this conversation. One last question I want to ask and for those who are listening who might be entrepreneurs or creatives, and you've kind of touched on this periodically in our conversation, but just some advice that you have been given in your career, whether it's before, during, or after Bar Rescue or the other many projects that you've been involved in that has really sustained you and that you could pass along perhaps to somebody that might ask you along the way to help them out. Yeah, you know, I think the most important thing, and I try to give this to people, is confidence. You know, if you really believe in yourself, you'll take chances, Brett. 
you'll invest in a business, you'll start a podcast, you'll do this, you'll do that. It all starts with our self-confidence. And if we don't believe in ourselves, we'll never believe in the things that we do. So self-confidence comes from enough knowledge and enough personal experience that you can believe in yourself. And I tell people that are starting new businesses all the time, you have to believe in yourself before you believe in the business. That's a powerful element. And I know there's a lot of words. How does that happen? Well, it happens when you go to a bar enough that you say to yourself, I've watched 150 bar rescues. I've spent nine years in bars. I know this stuff. <laughs> yes. You know, I can, I have the confidence in myself to do this. And it starts with that personal confidence. And I try to convey that to people on bar rescue and elsewhere in my life. But the other point that I'd like to make is I'm back to excuses again. I've met so many people that say to me, wow, you know that idea that guy made of me? And I thought about that three years ago. I just didn't do it. I have a number of those, by the way, that I thought of. I created Boston Chicken before it was Boston Chicken, but I never did anything with it. I had a wall of rotisseries and chickens. And my point is this, act. When you have something that excites you, you have to act while it excites you. We don't regret the things we do in life. We typically regret the things we don't do in life. And if you think about it, Brett, looking back five years, you don't regret what you did five years ago. You only regret the things you didn't. Yes. Life is going to be that way. So understand if there's opportunities you don't chase, things you don't do that you, you paused on or you put an excuse in front of you, you were scared to do, you didn't have the knowledge to do, you had the scarcity to do it, then those are the things we regret later in life. Do it. Do it. The logic of you regretting what you do is far less than regretting what you don't do. That's why confidence is so important. If I can have the confidence in myself, I'll go do. I love it. And with that, we have been chatting with John Taffer of Bar Rescue and a myriad of other things. He mentioned his book. We will link that in the show notes as well where people can buy it. I highly recommend it. And I will definitely be getting it myself and reading it. It's fantastic. John, I appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us today on the show. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Brett. Continued success, my Thank friend. Thank you. That brings today's show to a close. Goodly do. Thanks for stopping by. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to share it with a friend and subscribe. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of the guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Autobots, roll out. Go home.